When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Digital Audio Health by Cymatrax. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you believe that there is more to life than what you see right now and you want to find out more, listen in as her guests share their journey and their extraordinary experiences. Now, here is your host, Rhonda Grant. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show. Sometimes the universe has a way of placing people or obstacles in your path to help guide and direct you on your mission. Listen in as we discover the path my guest has traveled. Has he been inspired by a calling, crafted his journey, or a bit of both? I invite you to embrace the conversation and to use them to help you to recognize if this is happening in your life. Our guest today is Dan Goodwin, who is founder of CYA, Cover Your Assets, who provides business, advisory, and consultancy services, primarily for businesses as they prepare for scale-up opportunities. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show, Dan. Hi, Rhonda. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. You're welcome. It's such a pleasure to interview you on my podcast. We've known each other for a little bit, right? Well, I was, you know, I was just thinking about, I, I know it's been over a year and maybe pushing two years because we met during, uh, during the craziness uh, in the last half of the summer, I believe, of 2020. Yes, that's right. We did. Can you tell us uh, the people who influenced your journey to success? Absolutely. Uh, I would, I'm going to give a shout out and credit to my seventh grade music teacher. Mm. Music has always been a part of my life. And uh, my dad said I was an active child, whatever that means. That's air quotes around active. <laughs> so I was kind of... <laughs> starting to hang out with the wrong crowd when I got to junior high and my music teacher, I don't know if she felt she had a mission or if she uh, just saw somebody that was flailing a little bit and she was able to take my musical skills up to that point and really start applying them into uh, different aspects of music and, and performance and starting in junior high. And I give her a lot of credit for putting up with a smart aleck 13 year old. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see, after that, uh, there was a minister and his wife that I did lawn work for that I was introduced to by my future wife mm -hmm. and it opened my eyes up to maybe there was more to the universe and to religion other than what i was raised in so that would be number two and then number three i had a great mentor 
when I was in my corporate job that took a young whippersnapper and showed him the ropes on how you navigate successfully in a corporate environment and politically in a corporate environment. So those are the top three that come to my mind. So was success easy for you to attain? Well, it, you know, no, the, the short answer is no. Because mm -hmm. people think always, that uh, when they when they hear about a successful person, that uh, it's been easy for them. They don't, uh, they may not know the obstacles that you've had to face along the way. I would say definitely 90% of what you see on a person's journey isn't, hasn't been revealed. Uh, nobody knows oh. the trouble I've seen. That ought to be a song, shouldn't it? Yeah, I was thinking that. <laughs> so, well, here, here's what, I, I mean, let's take social media. Let's mm -hmm. look at LinkedIn. Let's look at Facebook. Let's look at Instagram for sure. All that is shared are the success stories. And that's the, that's the 10% journey, right? Um, I like, so Billy Ray Cyrus, remember him, mm -hmm. achy, breaky heart way back in the day, maker of the mullet, right? He made a statement one time that I just absolutely glommed onto. And that was, uh, I loved it when people came up and said, what an overnight success you are. And he said, they haven't seen me in the last 15 years playing in dive bars, getting bottles thrown at me, being behind the, the chicken wire up on stage. So, and of course, you know, that was his, he, he did a lot more things after that, but that was kind of his breakthrough to stardom was a breaky heart. How's that for a throwback, Rhonda? Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. And, and I mean, that's, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, people see uh, the person arriving as successful and they don't realize um, the failures along the way, the triumphs along the way uh, to the person that you are today. And, and sometimes when people see success, they don't see it as attainable from where they're sitting right now. Like that person's so successful, I could never do that. I don't even know how to start. What three important things did you find in business that helped you towards your success? The top three things. Oh, one was persistence, even to the annoyance of others sometimes, to be really focused. Uh, Rhonda, I was... I was ADHD before it was diagnosable or cool. Oh. <laughs> so so uh, that's how that's how old I am, and um, that, so the persistence thing is let's let's keep going until there is. I think there is a, a difference between hitting a closed door and smashing through it, and the wisdom comes from knowing if it's worth the smash or not, because that persistence part is what really, really makes the difference. So I would say the first thing would be persistence. That would be lesson one. Um, the second one would be uh, grace. 
to be not to be as hard on yourself and also grace the second part of that would be give others a break we are all traveling down this road of life doing the best we can and working through our traumas unintentional or unintentional it doesn't matter because we have to remember our parents were also doing the best they could with the information they had in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've told my kids this, there are things that I do regret. However, they have to work through them themselves, just like I had to work through mine. So that generational thing. So persistence and grace. And then the last one is love. And in fact, I have a, I have a phrase that I'll put on the end of my, my post sometimes practice grace, mercy, and love whenever possible. Mm-hmm. Because some, sometimes people won't really allow you to practice that openly. And sometimes there's uh, that toxic relationship that you just have to, you have to let it go. So that would be it. Persistence, grace, and love. I guess that's the three lessons. I I would promote today. Mm -hmm. You said something there, um, you know, with parents who raise children and, and, and we all make mistakes when we raise children, but we also do a lot of really great things for our kids. Uh, There's some children uh, who raised, uh, who become adults that, have a hard time forgiving their parents uh, for their mistakes because they don't understand that they were operating at the level of consciousness that they had at that time, right? So how would you advise people right now who were struggling with that and needed to overcome that? Number one, stay in curiosity Mm -hmm. when you have those issues that were trauma inducing especially below the age of 10 that can imprint uh, that can imprint the rest of your life if you allow that to Um, I've had conversations with my dad he he had a stroke about five years ago And, uh, you know, cognitive abilities were fine. He was more affected physically. Um, And there have been questions that I had and say, why did this happen? And I had to really rephrase that, not coming on gangbusters. Yeah. And say, Dad, do you remember the time that this happened? I'm just trying to remember I also, I want him to remember. And if he doesn't remember, there's no use moving forward with the question. If he does remember, do you remember what was going on during that time? So you really have to approach it. Uh, you don't have to soft shoe it all the time, but you really need to be honoring and as respectful as you can without getting and dipping into the emotion surrounding that situation that maybe you're still hurting from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good advice. 
Really good advice. How does your critical thinking apply outside the boardroom sort of thing? Wow. This, this is, and Rhonda, you know me, this, you know, this is a passion of mine Mm -hmm. is to raise the critical thinking levels for people. If anything, the last two and a half years has proven to the world is people have abdicated their critical thinking skills. And we know that when you abdicate your critical thinking skills, you are by default allowing external messaging become your reality. So the critical thinking part dives in my favorite pattern interrupt question. And I think I've, I've talked to you about this before is when somebody comes at you mm-hmm. with a deeply held belief or position to take a step back and say, well, Rhonda, I'm curious, how would you know if that wasn't true? Because when we, automatically assume what we hear is true, nothing good can come from that ultimately because you're allowing that that piece to become how you feel. And there's lots of talks today about feelings mm-hmm. and emotions and drama and trauma. And what we, the physiological part of that is our amygdala gets hijacked. And the cortisol and the adrenaline is dumping into our brain 24 Mm seven. And we know that there's a minimum of 30 minutes of, for the physiological, for the balance, the chemical balance to return so that we have reasoning skills. So when you have external forces like social media and mainstream media and family, friends and church and whatever other factors, when you allow that messaging to become your default messaging, you're not practicing your critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to um, process. It sounded very easy when you're talking about that, but that is a, that's <laughs> a difficult not. process to grasp onto. Um, and you're right. I mean, uh, negativity and feeling negative dumps a lot of bad chemicals into your system, which causes uh, disease and joyfulness and gratefulness dumps another set of chemicals, which is life preserving. And a lot of people don't know that, that uh, because they don't um, recognize how their speech affects their present state of mind because they've been using it for so long. What are some of the things that people can do uh, to help themselves be more critical? Wow. Here's, here's what I know. People ask questions for primarily two reasons. Okay. And the first reason they ask a question, Rhonda, is to affirm a deeply held belief or position. So, I mean, so the listeners can't see this, but you can. Mm-hmm. This shirt makes me look awesome, right? I yes. mean, so <laughs> it I'm, does, Dan. Right. Yeah, <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you very much. So, no, so, you know, I'm, what am I doing there? I'm fishing for affirmation, I'm fishing for the compliment. Okay. And I want agreement. 
And people want agreement when they ask a question. And the second reason people ask questions is they are genuinely curious and they're seeking new data points. They really want to know something. I'm an eternally curious person. I was that that young boy that was, go sit down, shut up, boy. You're asking too many questions. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so I was always asking, always into something, right? And mm -hmm. I've, you know, I've had a son the same way, and I've got a grandson the same way. And uh, now here's this. Here's the flip side of this. The reason people don't ask questions, and this is going to answer your question. The reason people don't ask questions is they don't seek new data points because if they discover a new data point, they have to then process that and they either have to take action or it action. And there are consequences attached and consequences are agnostic in this point. Mm -hmm. There can be good or bad. If you choose to take action, there being good or bad if you choose to ignore something. So that's the first step and it's just easier to not ask questions that seek data points and then converse. Well, adding on to that, mm -hmm. if they go back and share their newfound revelation with their friends, family, social group, church, whatever, just pick a, pick a group. Uh, and it's not within the group think of what they, those people ascribe to, yeah. then they can get, uh, you know, discouraged they can <laughs> they can get excommunicated they can mm -hmm. get ridiculed and they simply don't want to go through the emotional pain so therefore i.e it's just easier to go along to get along and let your programming of how you think about things default to externals mm -hmm. so if if that's what a person chooses to do can that person become successful? Here's here's what I've noticed on my own journey because mm -hmm. I can't I can't travel your journey or my wife's journey or my brother's journey. I can only say what is my journey. Exactly. As the the flip side of the last two and a half years is people are waking up mm -hmm. and they're discovering that, oh, okay, is this how I really think about it? I mean, take any of the subjects that we can talk about, vaccines, mm -hmm. mask, uncontrolled abortion, politics. I, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. because the divisive piece of it is what triggers the awakening. So that's the blessing in disguise. Here's what I found. Mm -hmm. As I have grown on my journey, my awakening, my spiritual journey, the people sense they intuitively know that something has changed, that you have changed mm -hmm. somehow. And two things will happen. Either people will lean into that and say, hey, Dan, what, what's going on? Or they'll mm -hmm. say, what do you think about this? Or what, what are your thoughts? Or they're going to look at you and perceive you as a threat to their equilibrium. And they're actually going to start drifting away. Mm -hmm. And that can be friends. That can be family members. 
it doesn't really matter. And when I say drift away, I'm not saying breaking fellowship forever. I'm not saying that, but Mm -hmm. they're suddenly not going to have the time to hang out. And they're certainly wanting to keep the conversations at a superficial level Mm -hmm. because I can drop truth bombs on them. (laughs) And I know, I know which ones will land. And from my investigative background, I know how to, how to lob those into uh, with language so that it really wakes that person up when they have to process and it makes them very uncomfortable sometimes. Mm -hmm. I love when you brought up your investigative background and, and I do want to talk about that. Do you find that, um, what people are recognizing in you or others who have come into an enlightenment or awakening, uh, uh, awakening that when they see your light, they realize that maybe they're not shining from that part. Yes. It, it's very disconcerting at the least and very upsetting at the most that you've gone this many years and and just now are coming into an understanding of whatever that journey means to you uh, and not diving too deep uh, i was i was raised in a very evangelical conservative church mm-hmm. um and the things and that was that was one of the times that i kept getting told to sit down and shut up because yeah. <laughs> i was listening you know i was drawing pictures on the pew during the sermon but i had one ear open right and i was always questioning i don't think that's what the scripture actually said did it dad um, one of, you know, one of those things, I was one mm-hmm. of those, those kids, right. I was just a joy to be with, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but, but I think when you're, uh, and I always joke with people and say, you know, our church was not a cult because we only hit eight out of the 10 characteristics of a cult, but we were pretty close. Mm-hmm. And I, again, as I have, as I have walked my journey, I turn around and look at the people that I went to church with when I was a kid and young adult. And again, you are better served by saying, bless God, they did the best they could in their present moment with the information that they ascribe themselves to. Mm -hmm. It is not my job to go back and try to change them, tell them that they were going down the wrong path. My job is to love them and be attractive to them that if they are open to it, I'm ready to talk. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. That's just wonderful. Talk to us about this investigative um, work that you do. Sure. So, my life has been divided into two parts, corporate mm-hmm. and then consulting, entrepreneur and consulting. So when I was 
at the Fortune 50 company that I was at. I was sent to a school in Chicago, and which is the school they send detectives and inspectors and investigators mm. and wow. um, to learn interview uh, techniques. And that's really where I cut my teeth on learning, in, you know, how to interview skills and a little bit of sales, a little bit of psychology and a lot of NLP. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what neuro-linguistic programming was when I went to school way back in the mid-90s. However, it's very effective. That's what they were, yeah, yeah, that's what they were teaching us to do. And, you know, I learned, uh, you know, how to ask great questions and thought-provoking and pattern interrupts and, uh, you know, how to raise and lower cognitive dissonance within people by the questions that you asked and how to get into rapport quickly with people so that they're seen and heard and validated. And I was very good at what I did. I always uncovered three, three or four additional management issues that they had to clean up after we got through dealing with the security issues. Oh. Uh, so, so that piece of it, uh, you know, hundreds of investigations and thousands of interviews and, you know, learning how to, uh, you know, how to gauge truthful and deceptive behaviors and verbal and nonverbal, all of that training came to the fore because that's what I was hired to do. So when I finally was burnt out on travel and dealing with people's um, mistakes and bad judgment is when I decided to leave and then I went a totally different direction tried to get away from investigations <laughs> and mm -hmm. then I had family and friends that had small businesses and guess what? They had similar issues and I got pulled back in and I found myself starting to help people first of all for free. And then, uh, then I said, you know what? I think I can monetize this and I can, I can control my travel and my hours at this point. Wonderful. You're listening to the Rhonda Grant Show, whose podcast has been treated with digital audio health by my sponsor, Cymatrax. And today I'm speaking with Dan Goodwin from CYA Consulting. How may people reach out to you, Dan? Thanks for asking, Rhonda. So my playground is LinkedIn. So I, I am not a secret agent anymore. <laughs> they can find me there. So CYA can, by the way, I don't think we ever define CYA stands Let's, for cover your assets in yes, case your that. listeners were kind of curious about where that was going. So. Wonderful. Yes. I love that. What a great acronym. Mm -hmm. Cover your well, assets. It, yeah. It's, it's another pattern interrupt, Rhonda. That's why I chose it. <laughs> so gets people's attention and brings a smile to their face. A lot mm -hmm. of the time. Yes. Do you feel that you've been called to your journey or have you crafted your journey? I think the first part of my life, the journey was crafted sometimes by default, mm -hmm. sometimes me not really knowing as a young man what I wanted to do. I had a lot of things I could have done. I, I had multiple talents. Um, performance art, music was huge. Theater was huge. And uh, then I got married, right? And then it's like, okay, time for real life. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I started in the mailroom and did that. And then the assistant's job and then the investigator's job, then the regional manager. I finished up as a regional manager for five states here in the Midwest. So that part, I would say, crafted. Mm-hmm. And then trying to get out of that um, is kind of where I felt the calling piece of it as I started helping people deal with their own bad situations and helping them find a solution and a path to fix what was broken. And then of course, the last two and a half years, I feel like it is a real calling to help people process the journeys that they're going through with all of the different inputs, uh, physical and emotional that they're going through as we, as we deal with how the world is evolving. Mm -hmm. And do you find that the pandemic has really affected a lot of businesses? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think so when, when everything first kind of broke down April, May, June, Mm-hmm. The conversations I was having with my consulting clients is if you have remote workers, you need to be checking in on them and not checking in on them on work. You need to check in on them with their their mental health mm-hmm. and everybody, you know, the dogs and the cats, you know, walking out across keyboards and kids jumping in, not knowing dad or mom was on the Zoom Uh half-dressed spouses walking through forgetting that there was a camera in the room. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we, we saw, we saw all the, the amusements, right. But at the same time, I would tell my people be a human first, be a boss second, you know, find out, make sure, do they have everything they need? Is everybody healthy? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, this was not a time to go draconian and, you know, do keystroke logging and, and screen monitoring and all that. We need to be human first and then work together to get the productions up. That mm-hmm. that was my first uh, experience in the pandemic. And do, uh, did you find that some people thrived uh, under these conditions? And then there's other people that really needed their co-workers and that office setting in order for them to thrive. Right. So... In general terms, the introverts mm-hmm. loved it. <laughs> they they yeah. could stay home, right? I know. They could stay home, <laughs> leave me alone, or just let me get my work done. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, the extroverts like, when is the next party? I want to get out of this house no matter I, what. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> when I, are the bars going to open again, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I I, re- I remember that. And you know, I was initially I was one that's like, get me out of this house. Uh, my wife's a school teacher, and of course she she came home March the thirteenth, and you know never went back that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had an adjustment because I work from home, and you know we I had to basically move her side of the office up to a spare bedroom. Because mm-hmm. she says, I talk too loud. Can you believe that? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but yeah, I the whole thing with, with employees and clients was, it was amazing to me as it drug on. Um, 
here, here's another reason that people wanted to go back to the office. Mm -hmm. It was avoidance. It was avoiding having to deal with the issues that came from being at home with the family or the spouse. Oh, yes. And they needed the quote, the air quotes here for the listeners. They needed a break, right? <laughs> well, um, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, lot of, lot of divorces during that time because people, when they're spending all that time together may realize that they don't, they don't like their spouse and it's, it's okay coming home at night and going back to work in the morning and spending the weekends together, but all day, every day, day in and day out, people made different decisions for their lives during that time. Yes. And without, with the risk of sounding sexist, my experience with my clients was were that the males had more of their identity wrapped in their job. Some of the females did too, but mm -hmm. proportionally it was the males and when they couldn't go out to quote unquote strut their stuff and show off in the office and how good they were on sales and how knowledgeable and intelligent they were when they didn't have an audience to play to. And <laughs> the only audience was a spouse who really knew who they were. <laughs> then it wasn't quite as fun. So anyway. They that weren't could be having, a whole stand-up routine, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. they weren't uh, having as much fun as they used to. Well, you're not being stroked, right? And and, right. and people like to feel appreciated uh, for what they do. What yes, extraordinary, do. yeah. What extraordinary discovery have you found in your life? Uh, that at my current uh, level in life, I wish... I would have been open enough 20 years ago to know what I know now. And oh, the reason tell. is, yeah, the reason is I was 20 years ago, one of those fast trackers in a corporate environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wasn't quite burnout yet. <laughs> I was getting close, right. but I really felt that I knew it all. And the adage is true. The older you get, the less you know. And that piece of it, I guess, is the lesson learned. That now, with the next five to seven years to work and leave my legacy, my job is to help people avoid my mistakes and learn faster than I did. Now, and we know that some people will insist on making their own mistakes. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Can't help them all. <laughs> no, that's right. People don't want you to tell them because they want to do it their way, not realizing right. that their way might be a really rough line that they're going to travel. What do you remember the point in your life when you felt that you had come into an awakening or an enlightenment? Because there's very, very many different levels of, of enlightenment. Do you remember the moment or anything? I don't know if there was a, there was okay. a moment, there was a time period. So a back time period. in, Perfect. I, yeah, yeah. Back in May of 2014, uh, 
I had an NDE. And I don't I don't share this with everybody. I guess it's just between you and me and your thousand listeners. <laughs> your hundred thousand people that are on the podcast. Yeah. But, so do you wanna um, do you wanna tell the listeners what those initials mean? Because a lot of people may not know. Oh, sure. Yeah. See, that's that's we assume sometimes people already know we what just, we know. So NDE is near death experience. Yes. And so this whole time period back in april of 14 i started having a detached retina in my right eye and i was very unhealthy i was about 30 pounds heavier than i am now and uh so i had five laser surgeries and uh finally it started to curtain which means the retina was actually starting to peel off the back of the eye so those oh. those five lasers didn't didn't cut it. So that led to an emergency surgery, rushing me into emergency surgery. And uh, I told the anesthesiologist on the way into the room, the, mm-hmm. the operating room, I said, "Listen, I've got sleep apnea, so you need to have oxygen standing by." Right. And he didn't he didn't listen? <laughs> so oh. halfway through the surgery, uh, I woke up. They were stripping the sedative IV out of my left arm and putting a steroid IV in my right arm. Uh, I bottomed out. They were charging the paddles when I came back. So I didn't, I didn't ever have to get a shock, uh, but scared my doctor to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used some very colorful language the next day mm-hmm. <laughs> when I went for my follow-up. And, um, you know, people said, well, did you go to the other side? I said, yeah. And he told me to come back and take care of you. You need help. So I was being a smart aleck about it. And, uh, but it really fundamentally, that trauma mm-hmm. of all of that changed my personality. And mm-hmm. my wife and my kids bore the brunt of that. Uh, and I became a lot more focused. Uh, I became a lot more closed-throated not offering opinion unless somebody asked for it or was paying me to give an opinion because Rhonda, I was, I was the type of guy. I like to push people's buttons. It was mm-hmm. free entertainment for me. I know what their trigger points were. Right. And, you know, I would just agitate and I just, I lost interest in doing that. So that would have been 14, 15. And then the last two years is really where I started um, researching vibration and frequency and really where I see my own spiritual journey that that is mine alone versus a religious journey. You know, mm-hmm. religion is imperfect man's attempt to explain our relationship with God, creator, universe, whatever label you want to use. Spirituality is my journey and how I see myself within that universe. So here we go. Now we've gone down a deep rabbit hole, Rhonda. (laughs) Beautiful. This is where I would, you know, I'm always surprised with where conversations can go. And I really appreciate that you have shared that. Um, Many people have had near-death experiences. I'm one of them. and unless you it happens to you you don't understand um 
the moments that happen after that, how space is different, how reality is different. And uh, you just come into an awareness that is, is not like anything that you experienced before. And it changes you. We don't recommend it to people. We're not recommending this uh, for at all. Um, but it is a difference and, and people can come into uh, awakening by meditating every single morning, or at least sometimes during the day, give you some alternatives here of how you can reach awakening. Uh, but uh, for some of us, uh, that near death experience uh, changes everything. Absolutely. But it, it is an, it's an impact point. I would say out of that, my, the empathy piece and the intuition piece got way deeper. And I was already an intuitive person, which made me successful in my investigative career Mm -hmm. Uh, to be able to read energy, read body language, read breathing, read all of that. And what I find now is the younger me before 2014, Mm -hmm. I was always looking to let's go out, let's go out, honey. Let's go, let's go to this restaurant. Let's go to this. Let's meet so-and-so over here. And now the empathy piece, I need recharge time for me after spending time with people Mm -hmm. because I still, I absorb that at such a higher level now than I did before 2014. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. You feel it. You feel the energy. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much uh, for being a guest on the Rhonda Grant show. I've really enjoyed uh, learning more about you. And uh, so thank you very much, Dan. Thank you, Rhonda. It's been a, it's been an honor and a privilege to, to visit with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Theme song for the Rhonda Grant show, Sun on the Water, is composed and performed by my friend, John Park Wheeler. This is Rhonda Grant with the Rhonda Grant Show, author of Magical Forces Within, Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rhondagrantauthor.com. That's rhondagrantauthor.com. Digital Audio Health by Cymatrax.